Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. It's great to see you in worship this morning. I want to remind you that this afternoon we are hosting a Jazz Vespers service, which is part of the um, Roswell Roots Festival that's celebrating Black History Month. It's going to be at 4 p.m. here in the sanctuary. It's just kind of a coincidence that the band leader is named uh, Dr. Dwight Andrews. He's also a pastor down at First Congregational in uh, downtown Atlanta. He actually taught my mother-in-law the clarinet when she was in middle school in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's a small, small world, but all roads lead to RPC. And this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. I can't believe it. It's really early this year. We're going to kick off the liturgical season of Lent. It's the 40 days that leads up to Easter, not including Sundays, because Sundays are always Resurrection Day. And so we're going to celebrate with a service, Ash Wednesday service, with an imposition of ashes here in the sanctuary at 6.30. We'll be looking at a sermon series called Searching for Resurrection. We're going to look at six characters in the final days of Jesus' life and how they deal with death in all its multiple forms, and how we can hear the good news that is offered to us in Jesus Christ's resurrection. So we're going to look at searching for resurrection. Well, today we're going to conclude our sermon series, Counterfeit Gods. While sociologists tell us that religious belief is in decline in North America, it's my contention, that people are no less religious, they're just treating seemingly secular objects and activities with religious devotion. They're not worshiping God, they're worshiping other things. We've looked at busyness, leisure, family. And today we're going to look at the counterfeit God of me. Not me, but but yourself. (laughs) At 8.15 they were like, we would never worship you, Jeff. And I was like, well, I'm clear on that. So we're going to look at a passage from the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has some tough words for his followers. From Mark 8, verses 31 through 38, let us listen for the word of the Lord. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher. Lord, while 
These are somewhat mysterious, confusing words. We ask that you might make them clear to us, not just to our minds, but also to our hearts, that we might put to death the false self that many of us worship, and we might step in and live into the identity that you offer to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All of us, I think, have a picture of who we think we are, and there's who we really are. There's the person that thinks he's stronger than he is, and then he discovers it when he throws out his back, lifting up a heavy bag of cement. There's the mother who thinks she's been the perfect parent until she gets the call from the principal's office. There's the high schooler who doesn't think she's very pretty, but then gets asked out by Mr. Popular. There's the person we project online in our social media, who we want people to think we are, but then there's the person we really are. I think that person that we think we are, that we project out, is the person that we worship. It's the idea that we often worship. It can be good or bad, positive or negative. But part of growing up, part of maturing is recognizing and coming to terms with who we really are. When, my, when I was growing up, my dad had a theory that during the summer, you should work at the hardest job as possible so that you would want to go to college eventually. <laughs> and so one summer, I worked at Eagle Hardware and Garden. Worked in the garden department there in Spokane, Washington. And for my job, basically what I did was I shoveled dirt and lifted heavy bags of manure. And every night I would come home and flop my sweaty, stinky body onto the couch. I'd watch television. And after a particularly hard day, I came and I was there laying on the couch trying to ignore the, the odor that was emanating from my hair. And there on the television, I received the call of God. I knew what I was called to do with the rest of my life. There it was on the television. You know what it was? Top Gun. <laughs> yes, Lord, I will become a fighter pilot. Now, a movie about flying planes at super sonic speeds during the week and playing beach volleyball with women in bikinis on the weekends is probably not the best place to seek career advice. It was too late. I was convinced I was going to be a fighter pilot. I began to gather all my information and my materials to submit to apply to go to the United States Air Force Academy. I was so excited, I was so ready, I could taste it. Tom Maverick Cruz. <laughs> now the only thing I had to do was actually try flying. Yeah, I'd actually never been in an airplane. <laughs> I just made a decision about the rest of my life and had never actually flown. And some of you, uh, some of you might be saying, wait, wait, Jeff, you're not a fighter pilot. I'm going to get to that. <laughs> but I remember the exhilaration of that decision. 
of deciding what I was going to do with the rest of my life, I had this idea of who I was. I was experiencing what psychologists call decision euphoria. Decision euphoria is the feeling you get right after you make a, a big decision, but before you consider the consequences. The decision about what you think you are before you realize who you really are. It's the feeling of endorphins that you get that causes that excitement to flood your body when you buy that new car before you consider the monthly payments. It's that feeling you have when you purchase that new puppy before he pees on your floor. <laughs> it's that feeling you get yelling at a coworker before you think about what your colleagues are going to say about you. The text I read today, I think, reveals Peter coming to terms and coming down from his decision euphoria. You see, in the passage immediately preceding our text, Peter makes one of the great declarations of the Bible. Jesus has been walking along with his followers, and he says, Hey, who do people say that I am? And they kind of have a conversation about it, and eventually one of the disciples says, Some say, John the Baptist. Others say, You're Elijah. Still others say you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus does something interesting. He commands them not to tell anyone. Scholars debate why he said not to tell anyone, why to keep his identity a secret. They call it the messianic secret. And I think it's because Jesus recognizes that they are still in the honeymoon stages of their faith. They're all pumped up on endorphins from this great declaration. And Peter is thinking, well, if he's the Messiah, just think what this is going to mean for my career. Jesus is the, the Messiah. That makes me his right-hand man. I'm going to get a great palace with a gold chariot with four-horse horsepower. I'm going to have servants to wait on me. I'll be famous. And Peter is all caught up in his euphoria. And Jesus needs to bring him back down to reality. Not the idea, Peter, but who you really are. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said this quite openly. And after Jesus says this, what does Peter say? The Bible says, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Interesting here. Peter, after this great declaration of faith, takes Jesus aside and says, how dare you say that? Wait a second. I didn't sign up for suffering, death. I didn't sign up for that. I signed up for power, to become famous, for wealth prosperity. That's what I'm in it for. We need to pop the bubble of the idea, whether it's good or bad, of who we think we are, and receive and hear and trust and believe who God says we are. We need to recognize the counterfeit me and wake up to reality. See, this can be positive or negative. We can undervalue the ideas of ourselves. We can undervalue 
our role in a relationship, an organization, a family, but we can also overvalue it. The trick is to have a sober view, an understanding of who we are and who God says we are. Now, waking up from that euphoria can come as quite a shock. To wake up from this world of dreams about ourselves, illusions, ego. When I was 17 years old, this came through my beloved straight-talking mother. I was set to go to the Air Force Academy. I'd met with my senator. I had collected all my materials and sent it in. I was ready. And then I remember one night, I think it was about 10 p.m., I was in the kitchen and my mom came in. And she had had two brothers who were Marines, had fought in Vietnam. She knew the military well. She said, honey, I know you've spent so much time and effort putting all these materials together, putting this application to the Air Force Academy together. But Jeff, you hate authority. Are you sure the military is the best place for you? And I came to this realization, I, what am I doing? The military would hate me. And I would hate, I, what am I going to do? And sometimes we need someone to give it to us straight. <laughs> From the idea of who we think we are to who we really are. Who do you have in your life that can offer you the tough truth that you can trust, that you can listen to? Is it a parent, a friend, a teacher, a brother, a sister, a spouse? Who can you listen to tell you the tough truth about yourself? Whether it's good or bad, Jesus tells his disciples the tough truth about what it's going to mean to follow him. They're having these visions of the future, envisioning power and fame and prosperity. And Jesus pops their bubble. He turns and looks at his disciples and rebukes Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. He uses the very language that he uses to cast out demons. It says, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus loves them way too much to let them worship a counterfeit idea of themselves. The question is, will they have the courage to let go of their ideas about themselves and receive the identity of who Christ says they are? Jesus challenges each of us with this question. Are you willing to let your plans, your ideas, your counterfeit gods go and receive the life that God has for you. Notice, just, just to be clear, Jesus gathers everyone around and he says this, he called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus uses Vivid imagery here. If you want to, to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He's not talking about jewelry here. He's not some Tom Shane selling a 14-karat gold cross. No, he's saying, pick up your execution chair. Pick up the thing that could kill you. Discipleship begins with putting to death the idea of who we think we are. And coming to the reality of who God calls us to be. This truth, it's radical. 
And it's not exclusive just to Christianity. Several hundred years before Jesus, the philosopher Plato said, philosophy is a meditation upon death. You have to learn how to die if you want to live. Wilco sang, you have to learn how to die if you want to be alive. So we have to put to death our false selves and find our true self. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Put to death the idea who society or culture, who you might think you are, and come to terms who, with you, who you really are. Confronting death has a way of focusing the mind, waking us up, clearing the smoke from our eyes so we can see clearly. The only way I was going to come to terms with who I really was was to actually try flying. So I recently had seen an advertisement for cheap plane rides. <laughs> so I scheduled my flight with the pilot and we met at the airport. Now I was doing my best to look the part. I had these very cool aviator sunglasses that I had on. You could like see yourself in the reflection. And so I got there and I buckled myself into the two seat Cessna. I gave a thumbs up started up the engine and we began to take off. The window frame began to jitter against the door frame as the engine shook. It felt like it was about to fall apart. My stomach grew queasy as the rickety single propeller airplane began to ascend. It struggled with every inch to get off the ground. Once we finally reached our cruising altitude, the pilot said he wanted to show me what this little plane's engine was made of. I wondered if this was such a good idea. And he pulls the wheel back, and we ascend into the clouds. I mean, everything seems like it's going to fall apart. At the apex of his climb, the pilot looks at me, and he grins. And then he turns off the engine. And he pull, pushes the wheel. And the airplane begins to descend, cruising towards the earth. He looks at me and gives me a peace sign. But he was actually saying that's how many G's we were experiencing at that moment. And there we are, cruising towards the earth, and I think to myself, God, if you let me live, I will do anything else other than be a pilot. <laughs> I will be a librarian, an accountant, a gardener, anything else with my feet on the ground. My dream of who I thought I was quickly died. And I began to ask myself, who am I really? What do I really enjoy? How do I want to spend my life Who's Jesus Christ calling me to be? I came and had to rest in the fact that it was very different than the idea that I become so, so obsessed with. The other day, a friend of ours called my wife 
who's an attorney. He called her with a problem. He said, I've been a mentor for this young man since he was 12 years old. He was convicted of a violent crime when he was 17, spent 10 years in prison. He's been out for several years, and the other day he was arrested. He'd been riding with a friend in a car, and the friend had had drugs and drug paraphernalia in it. And he's going back to prison. And I've never dealt much with the criminal justice system, and I'm going to visit him there in prison. What should I say? And Courtney gave him this advice. Make sure the first thing you say to him when you walk into that room, make sure the first thing you say to him, you are not the worst thing you have ever done. Your value and worth are not tied up with the worst thing you have ever done. That idea is not who you are. I thought to myself, that is what we say every Sunday in church. You are not the worst thing you have ever done. Your value is not tied to that. Your value, who you are, is not that idea. But it's that God has claimed you in Jesus Christ. God has offered his son for you and loved you. That is who you are. And so we have to live into that truth and that reality. Put to death the idea that is so attractive and step into who we really are in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for what you have said and who we are in Jesus Christ. We pray that we might live into that new identity, that we might not worship the counterfeit God of me, but that we might believe and trust and respond to who you say we are. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.